You're listening to A Stranger Cast at thestranger.com. Hey, it's Wednesday, March 20th, and I'm Eli Sanders, and this is Blabbermouth, the Stranger podcast in which we talk about what's going on this week. Dan Savage is here. Katie Herzog is here. We will try to fathom Trump's 28 tweet Sunday, talk about what it means, and then the Electoral College's days may be numbered, and we'll tell you how that could be the case. And then Beto O'Rourke is in the presidential race. What do we make of Beto? Also, Chase Burns is here to discuss Andrew Yang, the presidential candidate who wants to give you $1,000 every month. Guess what? People love him. And he's going to be on the Democratic presidential debate stage in June. Finally, Jasmine Kaimig is here to discuss the newest documentary about the Theranos scandal. This one's from HBO. This scandal is nuts. We'll hear all about it. But first, Dan Savage and Katie Herzog on Donald Trump. Dan Savage, hello. Hey, I apologize in advance for any sniffling, but I have a bad cold. Oh, no. Katie Herzog, how are you feeling? I feel great. I was walking to work today, and I thought, I'm just going to be in a good mood today. Rich is out of town. It's really sunny out. You know, (laughs) I get to sit in for the whole show. That's what I mean. You know why else you're in a good mood? Why is that? It's the vernal equinox. Oh, yeah. That that, That means something. Everyone in the world today gets an equal amount of sunlight, and people in Seattle who have been living in this like dark cloud cave for a long time get, uh, more sunlight than they've ever had for the last six or so months. I thought that was a gym at the corner of Hollywood in Vernon. <laughs> it feels a little bit like a drug. Uh, it maybe is. But for one day all over the planet, like the most egalitarian light day in the world. Back to our hellhole of inequality in this Wait, country. I don't understand what you meant by egalitarian light day. Egalitarian light day means everyone on the equinox gets the same amount of sunlight all it's- over the planet. For one day, we're all equal on the sunlight spectrum. Sunlight equity. Sunlight equity. And then I was trying to shoehorn a crazy transition. (laughs) (laughs) It's really hard to pivot from social justice sunlight to Donald Trump, but you almost got there. I'm sorry I interrupted. No, that's all right. Uh, Let's just yank ourselves over there. So Trump was tweeting all day long on Sunday, 28 tweets, which is maybe a one day land speed tweet record for him. I don't know. What? do we even make of this anymore? Let's talk about what George Conway, the husband of Kelly Ann Conway, counselor to Donald Trump. <laughs> Actually, before we get to it. that, can I just say, like, if he tweets enough, eventually he tweets something that you're like, yeah, I agree. <laughs> I am. Um, I was never a fan of McCain. I never will be. I was like, yeah, me neither. Do I have to like just leap to opposition to everything that Trump says or does and suddenly be retroactively a fan of John McCain, who is an odious piece of shit, who joined with uh, McConnell in opposing everything, just being oppositional to anything Obama proposed, however centrist, however designed it was to appeal to, you know, renegades and whatever the fuck McCain's nickname was, rebel, what was his thing? Oh, Maverick. Maverick. God, I can't even fucking remember. McCain, who gave us Sarah Palin. Sarah Palin is really the progenitor of Donald Trump and putting an idiot 
at the top of a, of a Republican ticket. She laid the groundwork for that. I'm not a fan of John McCain's either, and I never will be. And I don't want to feel like I have to be because he's dead and Trump hates him. Well, this is a, I think this is a serious, actually a serious problem because there are people who are so reflectively anti-Trump that if he does something good, then the response is to disavow it, to, to just to, to oppose it just because of who did it. Criminal justice reform. Exactly. Which exactly. he got behind because of Kardashian asked. Right. And, and be, like it's a Koch brothers sort of, uh, I don't know, policy position. But still, like there's there were there were good aspects to this. Mass and, incarceration is expensive. Right. So the Koch brothers oppose it. So Donald Trump opposes right. it because a Kardashian asked him to. Right. It's in, a confluence of a lot of stupid assholes that resulted in a really good policy yeah, it, proposal. It, it happened. It happened one time. And we should get, get behind it just, you know, because it's the right thing to do. In further confessions of kind of sort of agreeing with a Trump tweet, there was one the other day where he, I mean, in his crazy way, what he said literally I don't agree with. But the point was like, wait, a pilot can fly a plane. Why do we need computers to fly planes for pilots? And I know the answer, but I also kind of agree yeah. with the sentiment. These which, kids and their electric pencil sharpeners. <laughs> when I was in school, we turned a crank. Well, right? but, also, so Trump was responding in his crazy way to the Boeing crash yeah. and, you know, the software glitch that may be behind this. And then raises a question that you can yeah, raise across but, a lot of realms well, right no, no, now. You can't, you can't slide past those. The Boeing crash is perhaps a result right. of the kind of deregulation that Trump and other Republicans support. Right. Boeing was doing its own regulatory assessments of the safety of these new planes. Right. Because I mean, Republicans want to deregulate the economy when they want to like, get the Clinton government out of your business. Though. Pardon? Clinton did too. Clinton I, I know. did a ton of deregulation. It's a, it's a right-wing yeah. proposal that it's a capital, Democrats yeah. got behind just like Democrats got it's behind a capitalist Obamacare, which is a right-wing proposal. It doesn't make it okay. But the deregulatory state was a GOP idea that Trump endorses, and then he complains about planes crashing. Yeah. Can't, can't do both. Well, he does all the time. And I'm just saying the, like, one little shred of, oh, yeah, like, should we make pilots obsolete? Is that the greatest idea? I, I had a moment of, okay, I'll entertain that question. Well, but Sell in, crashing planes. <laughs> in Trump's uh, 28 tweet, tweet storm on Sunday. There were other things that I'm sure no one here agreed with, like Trump's obsession with programming Fox News and lamenting the disappearance of Janine Pereira and uh, slamming. I don't know. I'm sorry I talked Fox. over you, by the way. I realized when I was ranting. He never uh, apologizes for talking over me. Well, you have a penis. And you have it coming. <laughs> anyway, Donald Trump, senior programmer at Fox News, spent a lot of tweets on that and more. And you can guess or look up what it was all about. But George Conway, husband of Kellyanne Conway, counselor to President Trump, then did his own little mini tweet storm where he said what people said the day that Trump was elected and before and after, which is that Trump has a potentially diagnosable like mental illness or narcissistic personality disorder. Right. So Conway tweeted out the DSM, the diagnostic and statistical manual mental disorders or something like that uh its definition of narcissistic personality disorder and another one sundowning assholery <laughs> <laughs> although he does seem to do his his tweet storms more in the morning so that might not apply does anyone buy this kellyanne versus mrs kellyanne or mr kellyanne horseshit i don't you don't I think, think it's, it's real a, no i think it's a shtick 
a I distraction. Think I, I think um, uh, I don't remember who tweeted this yesterday, uh, but somebody said, "Oh, uh, Amanda Marcotte said uh, she predicts, and I think she's right that they will have a show on CNN after the Trump administration oh is over." God. Like James McCarville and Dingbat, his wife, the odious piece of shit who worked for Cheney, Mary, Mary Matlin, or uh, Joe Scarborough and Mika. They Mika. got they're, married afterward, though. They're angling for a, a post-Trump gig where they can playfully spar from either side of the aisle, even though they touch each other with their genitals. That's what makes it so cute and interesting. And it is shtick, and I don't fucking buy it. And mm. I think it's... I think Trump may even be complicit in it and, and conscious of it and permitting it, because I don't think anything happens with Trump staffers that he doesn't approve of without them getting shit-canned, and so I think that he's in on this and we are being played. I think you're getting into the realm of conspiracy theory here, and you could be right about that. Crazier things have happened. Donald Trump is a fucking president. I, mean, I found anything him screwing on this morning. <laughs> the other uh, disorder that George Conway tried to diagnose President Trump with was antisocial personality disorder. So you look up these, like... Uh, definitions of what these are that George Conway tweeted out, and it really fits Donald Trump perfectly. And then the question that we've talked about... No, no, about, no. The question is, is there anything in the DSM that you could tweet out that <laughs> wouldn't fit Donald Trump? It's like a horoscope. You like read any horoscope, you're like, yeah, it kind of applies to me, yeah. I guess. That's Every single true. diagnosable mental illness in DSM, I think the president could be... <laughs> and then... Uh, George Conway suggests that the 25th Amendment should be invoked. See, I got the amendment right this week. Congratulations. Thank you. And, uh, of course, no one does anything. We just go on because that's that's what happens. We've talked about the 25th Amendment since day one of the Trump presidency also. Can I quickly toss out there, like, queer to queer to queer? The most dangerous thing that I think that happened this weekend, at least for the queers at this table right now, is the meeting with Bolsonaro, the fascist president of Brazil, where they stood there and said that they're going to fight for the natural family. They're going to fight for true gender. Like they stood up there and the two of them together endorsed basically kind of a legislative or cultural anti-queer pogrom and nobody noticed. Yeah, I didn't even hear about this. Yeah, I was uh, I was off of the Internet this week and it seems like I actually might have missed something. I thought it was all just about Chelsea Clinton drama. No. What, so what happened? Um, the president of Brazil, right. who is an anti-woman, right. anti-black, anti-queer, anti-planet, fascist, violence-encouraging demagogue, just like Trump, came and, to Washington, D.C. for a state dinner, a state visit, and they stood together and basically talked in not very coded language, pretty direct language, about bashing queers and about making that their mission for the natural family. Because, of course, Trump is the personification of someone with respect right, to the natural right, family. Right. Um, he has such respect for the natural family. He has three or four of them now. Uh, and and they talked specifically about trans issues, too, or trans people and condemned them. What Trump said was, in conclusion, may I say that Brazil and the United States stand side by side in their efforts to ensure liberties and respect to traditional family lifestyles, respect to God, our creator, against the gender ideology or the politically correct attitudes and against fake news. And it just like sailed through the news cycle like nothing fucking happened. Yeah. Another parallel between Trump and Bolsonaro. They're both like strongmen type leaders. And Bolsonaro got elected in no small part because of kind of uh, shady, I guess you would call them, messages that went around on WhatsApp and Facebook, basically using tech to mislead people into voting for and uh, for a strongman and against someone who might actually be more democratic. So, yeah, that happened. And also the Democratic 
race to replace President Trump finally is heating up. Before we get to, finally, it's two fucking years away. No, to re- well, yeah, to, I was saying to finally replace Trump. To but fi- okay. But uh, yes, it's not going to happen anytime soon. You're right. We just have to talk about it for the next two years. So one thing, though, Katie, that could make this long wait for voting worthwhile is the abolition of the Electoral College, which got a little closer this week when Colorado joined the National Popular Vote Interstate Compact. What the fuck is that, Dan? <laughs> it's uh, states all passing laws and agreeing that they will award their electoral college votes to whoever wins the popular vote. Once enough states have agreed that a majority of the electoral college, uh, the majority of the votes is a part of the compact. So states don't right now have to do it. They'll only do it once it means that enough states have signed up that the winner of the popular vote will win uh, the election. Um, states are allowed to determine for themselves how they award their electoral college votes. Some states, it's winner take all, you know, by popular vote, just like it should be nationally. And some states will award it by district. So you can, you know, dice up um, the electoral college votes. Only a handful of states that do that. But there's nothing to prevent states from doing this. I wrote about this last year in 2016 before Trump got elected, where I said it's possible he could win the electoral college and lose the popular vote, just like George W. Bush. And at that point, 10 states had signed up. Um, now it's 13 uh, with, there's, and uh, with a total, a total with a of, total of 181 electoral college votes in those states. We need to get to enough states that you have 270. Right. Are these all blue states that have signed those? Mostly blue states, not all blue states. <sighs> um, Arizona is one of them. Uh, New Mexico just oh. passed it. Uh, Delaware just passed it in Delaware and Mexico. It's sitting on the governor's desk waiting for their governor's signatures look likely to happen. Um, you know, there's been a lot of momentum, you know, it went from 10 to 16, 15, 16, uh, since 2016, we have two more years. It's possible that this could happen in advance of 2020, before 2020. Um, and then we will have basically defanged the Electoral College, even if we, and this is a simpler and easier process than amending the U.S. Constitution Mm -hmm. to rip the Electoral College out of there. But maybe we don't even need that because we have Beto. (laughs) Beto. Elizabeth Warren also said that she, one of her her policy positions is to eliminate the Electoral College. Yeah, Al Gore was against for eliminating the Electoral College. You know who else was for eliminating the Electoral Uh, College? Donald Trump was before he he won thanks to the Electoral College. There's a tweet. And there was actually a moment in the run-up to George W. Bush v. Al Gore in 2000 where the polling showed that Gore might lose the popular vote and win the Electoral College. John Kerry came close. 100,000 votes in Ohio, gone a different direction. He would have won uh, the Electoral College, lost the popular vote. If that had happened in either case, Republicans would have been screaming bloody murder. There were calls on Gore in advance of the 2000 election that if he won at the Electoral College and lost the popular vote, that he should step aside and let George W. Bush take the office. My, how things change. And so it's just, it's galling yeah. it's you know republican hypocrisy we should never be shocked never be galled by it it is a if we could tap the energy in it it is a <laughs> renewable energy source more powerful than wind and solar combined but we this is one way we have to de-rig our political system there's nothing we can do about the senate being tilted uh for depopulated states and acreage and cows but we can get rid of the electoral college and we must also Uh-oh, can i say one more thing no. <laughs> if, if but for uh, George W. Bush taking uh, the White House with losing the popular vote and Trump, we would have a 7-2 liberal majority on the Supreme Court right now. Welcome back, Dan. Ah! <laughs> Katie's tracking how many apologies you owe me for talking over me. <laughs>
we, like I said, have Beto now in the race. Or Beto. God, I keep getting it wrong. Anyway, he's in. And uh, so nothing matters. He's He's got it, right? Yeah. We don't have to worry about the Electoral College. We don't have to worry about anything he's destined, he says. What has he, he done? What has do he accomplished? This. The three-term Congress person and from as, Texas. Right. So as, as a Congress person, what did he accomplish? I don't know. He looked good. He looks good. He took on Ted Cruz and, and almost won. And do almost won. That in doesn't, Texas. Right. Right. Which is pretty and, good for a Democrat. And, you know, credit to Beto running in Texas and running as hard as he did. All sorts of down ballot races, all sorts of judgeships uh, flipped because of the Beto effect in Texas. Because he's so hot. <laughs> I mean, Charming, not he, to I, be discounted. Kennedy, in, Obama, a lot of pe- Clinton. People like vote on personality more than policy. We know this. And I, which bothers me. I just I feel like we have all of these candidates who have actually accomplished things and have a lot of, uh, I don't Warren. know, Warren. I'm talking about Elizabeth fucking Warren. Why all of these other people are running when we have Elizabeth fucking Warren is who's making all the, the, the really the best policy. Proposals. She is yeah. because she's a policy wonk as opposed to almost everybody else in this race, including Beto, including Bernie. Yeah, I've. I said this last week, but it's still true this week. Elizabeth Warren is doing what Hillary Clinton did, and she is getting the exact same treatment. She is thinking seriously about the presidency, which you would want someone who wants to be president to do. She is thinking seriously about policy, and she's rolling out serious proposals, and you can go and read about them, and you can think about them, and no one fucking cares, in large part because women are in this double bind, particularly running for president, where... People discount them as serious candidates. And so, you know, there's this effort to prove, no, I've got serious policy chops and serious ideas. But when a woman comes out with a list of serious proposals, people are like, oh, she's lecturing me. It's so boring. Well, like, I, it, I don't think that, that Clinton had any lack of attention. I mean, that was sort of a, a, of a foregone conclusion, um, which is why I think that this is more annoying because we don't know who's going to actually be the. There haven't the, been any debates yet. Right. In fairness, I mean, it's two fucking years away at this point in the campaign uh, in 92. Clinton hadn't even declared yet in 1960 when Kennedy announced in like January, February of the election year that was considered appallingly early and crass. And so maybe, you know, it's just too early for people to be paying attention, not to discount the yeah. sexism yeah. that Warren, I think, is already encountering in the dismissiveness. We also have to talk about Biden. Mm-hmm. Yeah, once he declares. I'm not talking about him until oh, he actually declared. declares. But in terms of it being early or us having to wait two years, no, no, no. The first Democratic presidential debates are in just a couple of months. That is insane. And they're going to squeeze all of these people onto a stage. Let me say, this is just like the reason we're doing, like the reason all of this exists is because this industry has been developed around presidential races. People mm-hmm. are making money from this. It's, we yeah. don't. It doesn't have to be like this. We're going to talk next about someone who is definitely going to be on the Democratic presidential debate stage, and you've never heard of his name is Andrew Yang. Chase, I heard you've never slept on Bolin Branch sheets. Never. Not that I know of. You poor soul. I know. My sheets are actually quite, quite terrible. They actually, they have a rip in them, and so I just put a, a heavy blanket on top of my bed, and I sleep on top of that. That is really sad. <laughs> it is sad. Bolin Branch sheets... <laughs> don't rip and they get softer every time you sleep on them that's because they're made from 100% pure organic cotton which means like i said they start out super soft and get even softer over time oh my gosh you buy directly from them so you're essentially paying wholesale prices 
Luxury sheets can cost up to $1,000 in the store, which I think is probably why you've got those torn sheets. Yeah, it's it's mostly because I'm I'm broke, but I'm willing to spend more on or even a little on nicer sheets. Well, uh these are not $1,000. Bolin Branch sheets are only a couple hundred bucks. Everyone who tries Bolin Branch sheets loves them, even rich who oh my has been sleeping on them for a long time with mixed results in terms of uh him being single as he brings up, but great results in terms of his sleep. That's why Bull & Branch has thousands of five-star reviews and Forbes, The Wall Street Journal, and Fast Company are all talking about Bull & Branch. Shipping is free and you can try them for 30 nights. If you don't love them, send them back for a refund, but I doubt you'll want to send them back. There's no risk and no reason not to give them a try. To get started right now, Chase and anyone listening, you can get $50 off your first set of sheets at BowlingBranch.com. Promo code BLABBERMOUTH. Go to BowlingBranch.com today for $50 off your first set of sheets. That's B-O-L-L and Branch.com. Promo code BLABBERMOUTH. BowlingBranch.com. Promo code BLABBERMOUTH. So, like I said, the first Democratic presidential debate is coming right up. It is in June. We are in mid-March. So that is really soon. So, Andrew Yang, do you know who he is? Yes, I do. Chase knows who he is. My in-law in... Montana, who is like way in the Yang gang, knows who it is. Um, but a lot of Americans knows who he is. But a lot of Americans don't. Who is he? Well, uh, so we first found out about Yang kind of well, on the internet, which is where I think most of us have found out about him. And so you made a, uh, we made a poll on our blog, Slog, and it was a very informal poll that could easily be manipulated. Uh, and it had a bunch of uh, Democratic contenders, and one of them was uh, Andrew Yang. And we, did you know who he was when you made this poll? No, I just put his name on. But then he came in first. Yes, so he came in first, which I was very surprised by, and I didn't know who he was, and I looked at traffic, and it was coming from a few Reddit posts and a few Discord channels, and I started realizing that he had this really um, kind of heated, strong uh, online group that reminded me of Trump's fan base, uh, or Trump's voters, or Trump's base. But his policies are very different than Trump's policies. Um, and so he's a 44-year-old entrepreneur, uh, he has never run for public office, I believe, and he uh, is the founder of something called Venture for America. But his big thing is that he is pushing universal basic income. And he has branded it as the Freedom Dividend. Yes. Uh, so the Freedom Dividend, and it has become very popular online, and he has rushed to the forefront mostly because uh, he's kind of won the meme game, uh, people have, have said. And I think that's true. And you've seen a lot of people, especially a lot of Trump voters, a lot of like red hat MAGA people, now fighting for Yang, which is kind of a confusing, and he's denounced them. But uh, and you even have the National Review. They posted an editorial recently that called, said the rise of the pink hats. So they've created Yang hasn't created this, but this group has created pink hats around Yang. Yeah, there's this uh, Richard Spencer, the white supremacist, is pro Yang, oh and my God. there's this whole world of formerly pro Trump people who are saying Trump hasn't delivered on any of his promises and the world is going to hell anyway, so we might as well vote for Yang and get $1,000 checks every month. <laughs> yeah, That's, that's <laughs> also, literally their argument. He's also trying to straddle the gun issue by saying that he is going to take everyone's guns, but he's going to give everyone new guns, James Bond guns, fancy 
advanced guns that only you can fire. Like this is oh, something that NRA opposes guns that can only be fired by their owner, some sort of chip. I don't understand how it works, but he wants to give everyone James Bond guns and he opposes the elimination of the electoral college because he says, I'm going to read his tweet. The problem with deciding presidential elections via popular vote, which is how we decide every other fucking election in this country is that candidates would naturally campaign in urban areas with big media markets and their policies would follow suit. What a tragedy that would be if we had a government that gave one flying fuck about the places where the vast and overwhelming majority of Americans live, the cities. Not that that would happen. There are lots of small states where nobody campaigns. It's not like they campaign in all the states to gather states. They campaign in swing states only. And there are plenty of tiny underpopulated states that get ignored in presidential elections like Idaho because they're not swing states. If every vote in every state mattered, presidential campaigns would be in every state. So on the one hand, he opposes the Electoral College. And on the other hand, he's going to send you a check for $1,000 every month. And a fancy gun. Yeah, and a fancy gun. Well, and I think thinking about Yang is like only thinking, w- would he be a good president is is sort of, uh, it, it, he's not he's not going not, not to make it. But what's exciting about Yang is that he's made it into the prime, or he's made it into the debate stage. And the fact that UBI is going to be on the debate stage, I think is very exciting and something that we haven't seen before. And the energy around him is something that shouldn't be dismissed because this energy this far out is the reason that Bernie went so far. It's the reason that Trump got the presidency, I mean, largely because of the, the meme race. And we can't discredit the power of the currency of memes. I think it's not just the meme race, but it's also uh, there are two things. One, he is kind of connected to the tech boom and the tech riches. He's sort of a tech millionaire or billionaire or whatever he is and so you have this tech guy talking about how tech is destroying our economy in the sense that a lot of people are about to be unemployed and we need to figure out what to do about that and a lot of people who are already unemployed or nearly unemployed are like yeah i've experienced that and trump has done nothing and the government has done nothing and if this guy from inside the system that's or the economic uh, system that's breaking our larger economy is going to write me a check every month. All right, I'm on board. And we did a bit of a disservice in just jumping right to UBI because part of the reason he's pushing UBI is because of automation. Mm-hmm. And so he's talking very seriously about automation and how automate. He's not he's not a technophobe, which I feel like a lot of politicians are. Mm-hmm. And so he he understands the impact of automation and that we're not going to stop it in many cases. And so UBI is one of his ideas on how to you know uh, handle that threat. His biggest concrete example is truckers. Yeah. who he says uh, correctly are overwhelmingly male and overwhelmingly white and probably overwhelmingly conservative and Trump voters. And the trucking industry is about to disappear because of automation, because of self-driving trucks. And he promises, and a lot of other people have too, when this happens, you will have riots. And if you don't want to have unemployed truckers rioting in America – then you better start paying them a basic income. I actually wrote about this a few years ago because whenever we talk about eliminating private health insurance, when we talk about going to single payer, we're told, well, one of the reasons we can't do this is because, well, the health insurance industry employs so many people. Their job is to deny you health care. Their job is to suck up money and make our system more efficient, more inefficient and more expensive than any other healthcare system in a Western industrialized nation. But we can't throw these people out of work because they're white collar college educated people. My uncles who are truck divers, fuck them. We're going to put them out of work. This is a real fucking disconnect and exposes a real hypocrisy in the way our country is run, that there's no debate about whether or not to eliminate or protect these jobs for truck drivers like my uncles, but we are going to protect 
at the cost of tens of thousands of Americans dying every year, the jobs of white collar folks who work in the health insurance industry. There's also been no serious grappling in public with the effects of automation. So on truckers or on any other industry that's yeah, been I mean, you could disrupted. look at Detroit's been disrupted largely because of automation as well. Right. That's where I was going is that Yang points out that a lot of the states that Trump one yeah. are states that are already feeling the effects of automation because of factories closing, car factories and so on, where robots do jobs that humans used to do. I think he calls it like the fourth technological revolution. He has a lot of <laughs> big sweeping terms. But but he, but he really correctly says, you want to know a, another reason why Trump won? Well, in the swing states that he won, automation was taking people's jobs. The Democrat didn't explain that or what you know, they were going to do about it. And Trump didn't explain that either, but he gave you a good boogeyman and he promised you a solution. Then he didn't deliver on it. So now Yang is correctly identifying the problem and offering a solution. Anybody who's curious about universal basic income, one of Yang's thing, uh, Rutger Bergman, who's that economist who gave it to the billionaires at Davos and then had that dust up with Tucker Carlson that he mm-hmm. was smart enough to record his own interview so he could share it after Tucker Carlson like shat his pants and swore at him. Um, he, he sat down with Mike Pesca at The Gist and had a conversation about the way universal basic income works and why it will work. It's not going to make everybody be lazy. It makes people get out there and do shit and start businesses, makes it possible for people to take jobs in the pro- in the public sector, um, and, and it'll be a, a positive. So anybody's curious about how that would work and whether it would be constructive and good for the economy and good for individuals should go listen to Rutger Bergman on the Just with Mike Pesca. There's also, in addition to the meme race and the race to try to explain what's wrong with the economy, there seems to me a race on the Democratic side to be the one to say, I am going to give you the most money the most quickly. Medicare for all, universal basic income, tax reform. And it's not like a uh, craven kind of thing. People need it. And yeah. Yang's is the most tangible. He's like, I will put $1,000 in your pocket every month. Yeah. That sounds great. I mean, at this point in the race, I'm just excited for all these ideas to be on a stage and just to see how candidates respond. I want to see how Bernie responds to UBI. I actually think that Yang will make Bernie seem sort of rational and that that could, (laughs) I think that'll be, I think Yang's actually uh, a bit of a helpful force for a lot of people on the left. You know who else is going to be on the stage that I'm excited about? Pete Butt Edge Edge? Booty Judge. Booty Judge? I don't know. He said, whatever, it's Booty Judge. The mayor of that town in Indiana, uh, he had that terrific town hall. I actually, weeks and weeks and weeks ago, uh, at the top of my podcast, urged people to donate to put him on the stage just because he was talking about um, how we at least need to talk about packing the Supreme Court to undo really the gerrymander on the Supreme Court that's given it this conservative majority. Uh, we may need to add more justices to write the scales, to balance the scales. And nobody else is willing to say that he was. And I donated money to him that day because he needs 65,000 donors, uh, individual donors to get into the Democratic debate. And now he's got them and he's going to be in the Democratic debate. And I'm very excited about that. Which, side note, last presidential cycle, after there was a lot of criticism about how the Democratic debates were keeping people out or rigged or bad for insurgent uh, grassroots candidates, they changed the rules and said, if you get 65,000 unique donors, you get on the debate stage. And now we have Andrew Yang and Pete Buttigieg. Booty judge. Booty judge on the debate <laughs> stage. The I first predict. openly gay ca- presidential candidate that's legitimate. His, the f- first syllable of his last name is but. Perfect. 
Uh, I predict, by the way, yeah. uh, when we're talking about how Yang is going to explain universal basic income, I think the attack is going to be this. You want to give $1,000 to truckers, great. But you also want to give $1,000 to Donald Trump and Lindsay Lohan and the richest, richest Americans because his plan is everyone gets $1,000 regardless of your income. Which is smart because social programs that benefit everyone are harder to undo in this country that hates people of color, that hates the poor. If you have a program that's just for the poor, like food stamps, it will be under constant and very successful assault from the right. Um, harder to tear down Medicaid and Medicare, harder to tear down Social Security. Not that they haven't tried, but they haven't been successful because it benefits everyone. It's really smart to make to send a thousand dollars to fucking Ivanka Trump if you're also sending a thousand dollars to the you know poor black mom uh, with the two kids at home. All right, next we are going to talk about a documentary that's among many made about it. It's the Theranos scandal. Dan, thanks. Thanks, Chase. Thank you. Thanks. Chase, your teeth are so fantastic. Oh my gosh, thank you. Do you, do you know why? I don't know why, but... It's because I use Quip every day. Oh yeah, that's the sparkle? That is the sparkle. Also, my boyfriend is a is a dental hygienist, or was, so I feel like I learned a lot from him, but, but it's Quip. Yeah. Well, uh, as you know, one of the most important things we do for our health every day is brushing our teeth, yet most people don't do it properly. No. Quip is a better electric toothbrush created by dentists and designers. It was designed to make brushing your teeth more simple, affordable, and enjoyable. People brush too hard. Some electric toothbrushes are too abrasive. But Quip uses sensitive sonic vibrations. Yeah, they're like these tiny little vibrations, and they really get in there, and they're very nice in the morning. Little pulses. Yeah, nice little pulses. Sensitive on your gums. It's got a built-in two-minute timer, which pulses every 30 seconds to remind you when to switch sides helping guide a full and even clean. Which is very helpful because I usually, my old electric toothbrush, I would just put in my mouth and leave it running. But with this one, with the pulses, I actually know how to move it around and do it correctly. Brilliant. <laughs> it's got a multi-use cover that mounts to your mirror and unmounts to slide over your bristles for on-the-go brushing. Quip doesn't require a clunky charger and runs for three months on one charge. Three out of four of us use bristles that are old, worn out, and ineffective. Brush heads are automatically delivered on a dentist-recommended schedule with Quip every three months for just $5. Which is very cheap. I actually haven't even noticed the $5 being taken out of my bank account. Did you know, Chase, that Quip is backed by over 20,000 dental professionals? I, I did from these ads. I thought you might know from your uh, boyfriend. Oh, yeah, yeah. He used to be a dental professional. Quip starts at just $25, and if you go to getquip.com slash blabbermouth, right now you get your first refill pack for free with a Quip electric toothbrush. That's your first refill pack free at getquip.com slash blabbermouth. Jasmine Kimig, hello. Hi, Eli. You watched another documentary recently, and so did you, Katie. Mm -hmm. It yes. was about Theranos. 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 Let's, do a, let's do a lesson first. Theranos. Theranos. Okay. Yeah. That shows you how much I know about the Theranos scandal, which is zero, not even how to pronounce the name of the scandal. What was it? So just like a basic overview, Theranos was a company started by Elizabeth Holmes, uh, she dropped out of Stanford at 19 because her idea was so huge and great that it couldn't wait to finish school. Um, and she started a company um, that was going to revolutionize the way that we test blood and that we test for diseases, where instead of, you know, having if 
I'm assuming that you've given blood before, mm-hmm. right? And you have to. You- well, uh, actually, <laughs> uh, just just get on a soapbox for a second. Uh-huh. Gay men are prohibited from donating blood, relic yeah. of uh, the AIDS era and also of right wing right. uh, policymaking. So I have had my blood drawn, yeah, but, uh, but I have never donated it. That's what this is about. It's about the venous draw. The so just like when you're getting your blood tested. So not donation. Okay. Just yeah, like yeah, just test. for testing. Right. Um, and you have to give you know several vials um, away. And I, I guess like Elizabeth Holmes hated that, and so she had this idea where you get a finger prick of blood, a drop of blood, and that um, she could put it into this machine and it would test for like 200 different diseases uh, or different problems with the blood. And she ended up starting a company that was at one point valued at $4.5 billion because she kept, you know, kind of selling this idea that she was creating this product, that she was this person, that she was going to revolutionize, you know, this, this industry. Uh, and she basically had nothing that worked. Right. <laughs> and so it was this huge, she was, a, she was a major fraud. She is a major fraud. Um, and she was able to swindle people like, uh, Kissinger, out of, out of out of money, Rupert Murdoch. Yeah, yeah Rupert Murdoch gave her like a hundred and twenty million dollars or something like right. That. And she's she got she had a lot of government people on her side. And so there's pictures of her with Obama. There's pictures of her with Jared Leto. There's pictures of her right. So she she was kind of billing herself as the next Steve Jobs. She had the black turtleneck. She had a blazer which was tasteful and no jeans. So. Yeah, maybe a, a couple steps forward in that regard. Um, she also f- totally fooled the media. Like there were glowing profiles of her in the New Yorker. Mm-hmm. She was on the cover of Fortune. She just fooled people and like very smart people. Most of the men, it seems like. Yeah, uh, there's a great tweet. Um, I don't have it up right now, but it, 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 it watching, listening to all these men talk about her and her genius is just kind of like, oh, they're all horny for her <laughs> in this way. She was young and blonde. And yeah, and she had these huge blue eyes that, that were actually, yeah. yeah, I think to me that makes her a little bit untrustworthy because she just never blinked. And they're truly, her eyes are very large. Like <laughs> she has very big eyes. Um, the tweet that you're talking about, I opened it up because you shared it. It's from Liz Watson. And she says, my favorite thing about every Elizabeth Holmes story are the legions of old men who are all like, she had this indefinable quality, that star power. You knew she was special. You always wanted to hear what she had to say. And it's like, sir, what you are describing is horniness. <laughs> Yeah, and, and, and it's totally possible that they would have had the same response. This would this would have revolutionized medicine, mm-hmm. not necessarily in a good way. Like this this testing would have also given consumers the power to go order their own blood test. And if like that might not actually be a good thing because for one thing, who's going to pay for that? Like, is insurance going to like I like I think I have cancer literally every day. I would go <laughs> every fucking day. Who's going to pay for that? A eh? and also, how are you going to interpret the results? Right. So this is not. So it was going to revolutionize healthcare but it also there were these ethical issues that she hadn't it didn't seem like she'd ever gr- even grappled with and um and she uh they included the testimony or the kind of story of uh, dr phyllis gardner um who is in the medical field she was a professor at stanford she's helped start a lot of businesses and i guess elizabeth holmes went to her um while she was still at stanford and was asking um you know, for advice on on a couple of ideas that she had. And, you know, Phyllis Gardner was like, you can't physically do this. Like, this is undoable, right? Like, it's not about can or cannot. You know, what is that Yoda quote? Um, uh, There is no 
uh, can or cannot or there is no do or don't only try something yeah, like that. Cause she, yeah, she actually had that quote um, on, on the wall of, of Theranos' um, offices. So she just was kind of like wouldn't take no for an answer, but in a way that didn't make any sense. It was very much she like my takeaway from the documentary, which I will say was bad yes um there's a lot that's been written about her and there's a great podcast called the dropout this documentary which was made by um alex gibney so i sort of had high expectations had so much fucking b-roll they just couldn't get that much footage of her so there would be like someone would talk mention like have it going out for chinese food with her and then there would be a 90 second montage of chinese of like close-ups <laughs> of chinese food or like a dice rolling across the screen like it's a really it's really bad yeah um but the story is really fascinating so how did this all come crashing down? Um, well, so George Schultz, he was one. He was on her board, so former Secretary of State, I believe, um, was a man in his nineties, totally enamored with her, and his grandson um, ended up getting his first job out of college at Theranos, working in a lab, and quickly saw that it was all a house of cards. Like it was all about marketing and not about the actual technology. And so he was a whistleblower. He, a reporter contacted him from the Wall Street Journal, I believe, uh, John Carreyou. And this, and this, and so he, you know, he told this story. There were lots of, um, threats against him. His own grandfather didn't believe him because everybody was so convinced that this woman was the next Steve Jobs. Um, and then, but eventually, like, you know, a journalist did his job and found whistleblowers and the whole thing came tumbling down. And now she's facing significant time in prison. And we have multiple documentaries and podcasts and that all come uh, out at the same time. Right. That are telling this story but i think the biggest thing the biggest problem that i have with the documentary is that no one addressed her voice uh, okay the podcast does address her voice okay, well let's po- give the yeah. names of these so the podcast is the dropout and the hbo documentary that you both just checked out is um, so the hbo documentary is called the inventor out for blood in silicon valley and there's more there's also a 2020 episode and there's a book called bad blood but we are talking about the HBO doc right, right. now. And so um, all of these other podcasts and shows have, I think, have noted her voice. Um, but people allege that she's, she fakes her voice. Yeah, she has this really deep voice. She she kind of speaks. Um, she speaks like this. And huh. um, it's very strange because I, I people are saying that she was trying to affect this type of gravitas. Right. And um you know, like kind of affect this this type of all knowingness, um, which I guess deep voices have, but it it comes off as really off putting um, because it's not it's clearly not her her right. normal speaking voice. Right. And actually, Jezebel had a great article that said that that was her dumb man voice. Mm. <laughs> that uh, whenever women try to you know repeat something that this a man you know says to her that's really dumb, you know, it's like oh well, Chad, you know, <laughs> you can't do that, man, right? But and, how did that play well with older? They men, loved it. They, I, you know, I think I it's know. sort of a it, it probably in our culture that would be considered sort of a commanding thing you know i mean which is probably sexist but that's it was just it was a weird affectation but she also she had a lot of weird affectations she wore the same thing every day she she was just i don't know she was just a grifter and she would have been great like my takeaway from every story about her is that she would have been great in marketing she just should not have like she would have been great in marketing. it was sort of like fire festival you know it was all about the marketing and not about the product she yeah. just actually promised to deliver something and right. then got caught not being able to plus took a lot of people's money a lot yeah and it was a lot of rich people's money so yeah so I, I feel less bad about it yeah. but they um actually did get some of the testing into walgreens stores hmm. and so they actually had real people sending in their blood 
Um, All right, and, that's messed up. Yeah, so that I think that's that's kind of where it really started to go off the rails because she promised a product to Walgreens um, that she just she literally didn't have. Right, and it wasn't just about not delivering the product. What they were doing is taking blood samples, doing big venous draws, doing the full draw, and then and then using conventional testing equipment that you can buy on the market. So there was just all of this sort of this facade about like put it in the box, but really like they're doing conventional testing, and, and mu- they must have been hemorrhaging money because they were paying for that Hmm. right so is the documentary the hbo documentary worth watching no 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 (laughs) i no it's two full hours long um i I think that there's a lot of other content out there it sounds like that covers the same and more um in the same amount of time so you were bored well it just it's an interesting story inherently but knowing a few details that it left out um, I just think it was assembled very weirdly. So we're okay. I am now actually pretty interested in this uh-huh. now that you both described it. What what should I watch if I want to know more or listen to? I don't know. I mean, the mm-hmm. podcast. I haven't watched the twenty twenty episode, but the podcast is really good called The Dropout. But it's again like a six hour commitment to learning the story. But it's really it's like a very fascinating story, and the podcast is very well done. It's called what again? The Dropout. The Dropout. Does she get any credit for kind of playing the patriarchy against itself? No. No. I mean, because that <laughs> no. is a little bit of what she did, right? She, I don't yeah. think that if she's a criminal and if she were a man doing this, I don't think that we, like that's just such a double standard. You don't get it's very lean. It's, it's kind of like lean in feminism, right? <laughs> right. Like, where it's like, all right, I mean, I guess, but I don't I mean, she gets no. She ruined people's lives. A man killed himself because of this story. Like, Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And the thing the documentary glosses over that they're like, Oh yeah, this guy and he was important and then he killed himself. Yeah, and one of her a former employee ended up killing himself. Right. So um, no, she, this is not a, this is not a feminist victory, Eli. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Sorry. My white feminism rears yeah, its head yet feminism. again. <laughs> Katie, thank you. Thank you. Jasmine, thank you. Thanks, Eli. And that's the show. If you've got something you want to say to Dan, Katie, Chase, Jasmine, or me, call the Blabberphone 206-302-2063 or dive on into our Blabbermouth podcast Facebook group. Thanks as always to Ahamefile J. Aluo for making the music we use on the show each week and to Nancy Hartunian for bringing our blabbering mouths to your ears. <laughs>